It's a great pleasure to have here uh, Francis Boyle to discuss these issues of such enormous importance. Francis, it seems to me you've been very much in the middle of a titanic struggle over the heart and soul of American higher education, especially in relation to the group who call themselves neocons, who appear to have been profoundly affected by a professor, Leo Strauss, at the University of Chicago, and where one of their prominent representatives, namely Cass Sunstein, uh, not only taught at Chicago Law School, he's a professor at Harvard, and was the administrator of the White House Office of Information and Regulatory Affairs in the Obama administration from 2009 to 2012, where he introduced, well, or sought to implement a program of cognitive infiltration to get government operatives into different truth movements in order to disrupt them. Now, it seems to me... Well, Jim, and uh, one other uh, point. He recently uh, took a job uh, with the uh, Department of War at the Pentagon. So he's now completely come out of the closet as, as a diehard warmonger. Very good point, because it, 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 the Pentagon has recently increased its cyber warfare force by about a thousand additional personnel which means they're very actively attempting to subvert the free exchange of opinion, information, and so forth over the internet. Uh, it seems to me, Francis, that you were rather aware that there was a problem in Chicago even while you were an undergraduate. Could you reflect on your experience and how, it, how long it took you to size up what was going on here? Sure, Jim. Um, and my best to your viewing audience. Yes, hi. I went to the University of Chicago. I started there um, as an undergraduate in uh, 1968. And I went there uh, because of the reputation it had under its uh, former president, Robert Bernard Hutchins, as giving the uh, best, most rigorous, and enlightened uh, liberal education in America. Um, but when I got there, uh, it turns out it had been taken over by the neocons. Um, and um, this became very clear uh, to me by my um, second year when the uh, uh, Edward Hirsch Levy, who had been uh, uh, the uh, neocon dean of the uh, University of Chicago Law School, uh, which was pretty right wing, became president of the university, and then uh, my class um, sat in at the administration building because uh, they fired Marlene Dixon because she was a communist. Um, and uh, at the end of the day, these neocons under uh, Levy and the rest of them drove out about 30% of my undergraduate class at the University of Chicago. Now, that's an astounding and appalling uh, figure at an elite uh, educational uh, institution, 30% attrition, never, never graduated. Um, and uh, if that had happened at Harvard, they would have fired the president of Harvard. Um, but where, where I would later go as a student and, and spent two years teaching at Harvard. But in any event, Chicago was proud of this, uh, that, that they had basically gutted uh, the Woodstock generation that I 
uh, represented and, and my uh, classmates. Uh, eventually, I, I entered as a math major, and then I got interested in population biology, but, but finally, uh, I declared a major in, in political science, and uh, it turned out, you know, you had to take a course in uh, political philosophy, and uh, uh, Leo Strauss, uh, the founder of the neoconservative movement, had just retired from Chicago. So I took uh, political philosophy with his right-hand man, uh, uh, co-author, and later uh, literary executor of his estate, Joseph Cropsey, in the book uh, 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 Strauss and Cropsey, History of Modern Political Philosophy. And the entire political science department, for the most part, was all neocons. And so the university itself was all neocons. So I was uh, uh, heavily inducted uh, into the uh, Zionist neocon um, agenda there at the University of Chicago right from the uh, uh, very get-go, despite the fact that I you know, went there to study in the uh, enlightened uh, Robert Nard uh, Hutchins uh, uh, institution. But it was no more and it never has been since then. And indeed, uh, large numbers of my adversaries um, over the years um, were trained as neocons in both law, political science, international relations um, at the University of Chicago. For example, Wolfowitz, um, Paul Wolfowitz was there, just to give you an example. Uh, getting his PhD uh, in international relations uh, when I was getting my uh, undergraduate degree. I would later get my PhD from uh, Harvard in, in international relations. So this whole cast of neocon characters uh, under Reagan and then uh, later under Bush Jr. Um, were there to, to get trained under Strauss, uh, uh, Alan Bloom, and the rest of the neocon Zionists uh, at the University of uh, Chicago. So I've been fighting with these people uh, ever since. Uh, what you know? What can I say? Not only uh, in uh, academia, but in um, you know court cases, litigation, debates all over the world um, since since those days. Now, Strauss uh, advocated a, an elitist philosophy where those in power were entitled to lie to the public uh, innumerable times. I, I recall once when Ted Olson, who is very much a neocon himself and our solicitor general at one point in time, was asked whether he could imagine any circumstances under which the government would be entitled to lie to the public. And he said there were infinitely many implying, of course, there's no end to the circumstance under which the government would be entitled to lie to the people. It seems to me that undermines the whole precepts of democracy, of being responsive to the public and informing them in truthful and accurate fashion what's actually the state of the world so we can make decisions that are appropriate to coping with reality as it is rather than a mere illusion. That's correct. Strauss, as I said, I do not 
study with Strauss himself, but I did study with Cropsey and the rest of them. And they all believed in uh, Plato's noble lie uh, for the elite in order to uh, govern the masses. But, but the important thing here to keep in mind about uh, Strauss is that his teacher, mentor, and sponsor in Germany was Carl Schmidt, Professor Carl Schmidt, who was the uh, uh, leading Nazi law professor of that benighted era who justified every hideous atrocity Hitler and the Nazis inflicted on everyone, including the Jews. So we have to understand that the American um, neoconservatives uh, are really uh, neo-Nazis. And you don't have to take my word for this. Um, there are two books uh, written by a uh, Canadian professor of political philosophy, Shadia Drury, D-R-U-R-Y. Um, and she's up there in Canada teaching political philosophy. And she wrote uh, two books, The uh, uh, Political Ideas of Leo Strauss, and then uh, Leo Strauss and the American Right. She'll tell you the exact same thing I'm telling you. Well, uh, Drury from the outside and me from the inside, we both can't be wrong. And also, um, Naomi Klein um, did an excellent uh, uh, book, as you know, uh, on the shock doctrine, Milton Friedman and the Chicago Boys, which uh, I would also encourage you to read. Um, Friedman was there when I was there, um, and, and the whole program, the economic program there are all uh, Friedmanites. Um, I was not going to study with those people. They were all barbarians who believed in the uh, uh, Nazi uh, doctrine of useless eaters, and they still are today. And let me add then, the law and economics movement uh, that has taken over legal education came out of the University of Chicago. Uh, Richard Posner, who started there, uh, uh, began the law and economics movement. He was on the law faculty. I've, I've met him there, actually. I, I interviewed there for a job, but they didn't particularly like my uh, critique of law and economics. Um, and all Posner did was take Friedmanite uh, savage market economics and apply it to the law. And that is the basis of uh, the law and economics movement. And again, I, I won't go through the whole thing here, but uh, Posner is uh, uh, now a, a judge on the U.S. Seventh Circuit, and he shamelessly promotes torture. And that should, <laughs> a guy who used to teach at the University of Chicago Law School, uh, he's still a lecturer there. He's judge on the U.S. Seventh Circuit, just short of the Supreme Court. And uh, he shamelessly promotes torture. And that should tell you everything you need to know about the law and economics movement. And his son, uh, Eric Posner, uh, now teaches law and economics uh, at the University of Chicago Law School. And he, too, shamelessly uh, promotes torture. So these people, uh, uh, the, the University of Chicago, the neocons, the Straussians, the law and economics people are the intellectual grandchildren of Carl Schmitt, a diehard Nazi. 
And these people are basically, in my opinion, having dealt with them, um, neo-Nazis. And it, it's dangerous because uh, what, what the neocons, the Straussians, um, are doing today and have been doing for as long as I've known them is attempting to rehabilitate and resurrect Carl Schmitt as a uh, legitimate uh, uh, theorist. And you will see Schmidt, the Nazi, uh, being uh, uh, cited as authority uh, by law professors such as uh, Posner Jr. and Vermeule, uh, who went from U Chicago to uh, uh, Harvard Law School. And now, even on the left, you'll see uh, uh, Schmidt being uh, cited as some type of legitimate theorist and uh, uh, philosopher and not identified as a diehard Nazi. So, Jim, in my opinion, th this is what we are dealing with here, uh, uh, an infiltration of uh, American uh, elite educational institutions, uh, academic discourse, um, uh, uh, publications, elite publications, with neo-Nazi uh, ideas. For example, the New York Times book review uh, had a back page uh, uh, article, essay, uh, Sunday New York Times book review. Um, and, and the uh, uh, editor there uh, was a graduate of the University of Chicago, a neocon. And he asked the uh, uh, neocon, uh, Francis Fukuyama, uh, to write a uh, retrospective on Max Weber's uh, Protestant ethic and the uh, spirit of capitalism on its 100th anniversary. And so right in this uh, essay on the back page of the New York Times uh, uh, Sunday Book Review, uh, in the essay, uh, he portrays Schmidt as a legitimate uh, uh, German philosopher and theorist like Weber or Marx or some of the others. Uh, and this is published in the Sunday New York Times book review. Got right through there, no problem at all. So uh, these uh, Straussians are insidious as to what they are doing to uh, elite education, uh, uh, elite publications and things of this nature. And they're now trying to uh, 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 translate into English all of Schmidt's uh, uh, major publications from uh, Germany and, and a concerted effort. And the left is buying into this, just as the left bought into uh, Heidegger, another diehard Nazi. So yes, these people are uh, antithetical uh, to what democracy is supposed to stand for here uh, in, in the United States uh, uh, of America. Let's take Alan Bloom's closing of the American mind, uh, is, is, which is the uh, gospel according to the University of Chicago. I was up there for my 25th anniversary uh, reunion, which is the last one I went to, and, and they trotted out Bloom as their great theorist and philosopher, and we all had to sit there and listen to him pontificate. Uh, and, and basically, you know, Bloom's position is pretty much that of uh, Plato. Indeed, uh, he did a uh, uh, English translation of Plato's Republic uh, that, you know, higher education um, 
is uh, only intended for us in the elite, like here at the University of, of Chicago. Uh, and even Harvard is not up to his snuff as far as he sees it. And that uh, public education is uh, just for the uh, great masses uh, of people out there, basically designed to turn them into uh, white collar, blue collar uh, workers, uh, worker bees. Whereas we here at the University of Chicago, uh, we, uh, we're, we're the rulers, we're the um, uh, ubermensch, and the rest of society are the untermensch. And that's what we're doing here with our education at the University of Chicago. That entire philosophy completely permeates that place. A at the end of, uh, uh, and then uh, at the 25th anniversary, the president of the University of Chicago, uh, it was the 100th anniversary of, of the university, got up in uh, Rockefeller Chapel. By the way, Rockefeller funded the whole place. Uh, so no surprise there. J.D. Rockefeller, the original uh, robber baron who once said uh, about it, quote, it's the best investment I ever made, unquote. And she got up there uh, in front of all these dignitaries and for 45 minutes launched a, a, a tirade foaming at the mouth. The University of Chicago will not have uh, uh, multiculturalism. Uh, we don't need multiculturalism and we'll make sure it isn't around. Boom, and that was that. Um, so at the end of hearing both Bloom and uh, 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 the uh, 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 Holborn Gray, the president, and then they had uh, another uh, uh, you know, professor from the uh, Friedmanite market uh, economics uh, uh, philosophy there, one, the, one of these uh, Nobel Prizes in uh, economics, and that's a fraud. There, uh, Nobel had no uh, provision for a prize in economics. That's the Bank of Sweden uh, prize in honor of Nobel. So basically, if you told the uh, uh, line, uh, neoliberal line of the Bank of Sweden, they give you one of these prizes called a Nobel Prize. And he was just as uh, horrendous as the rest of them. So I just told my classmates, the few remaining, <laughs> I said, you know, I'm, I'm very sorry, you people, but I can't take it anymore. I'm just not going to come back, and uh, I'll miss you all, but goodbye. And that was that. And of course, but I still have to fight these people. Um, and, and remember, Obama um, moved from Harvard Law School out to uh, Hyde Park, where the University of Chicago is located, uh, and eventually uh, was a lecturer in the University of Chicago Law School. And there he ran into people like Sunstein, uh, Elena Kagan, she's a closet neocon, uh, later dean of the Harvard Law School because she licked the boots of Larry Summers, another Zionist neocon. Uh, the list goes on here. I, I, you know, I've written, I've sent you some of the uh, um, publications I've done here on the University of Chicago and, and Harvard Law School. We, we could go on forever if you want. But again, I've pretty much been fighting these people since since I entered the University of Chicago in 1968, both at uh, 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 Chicago, later seven years at Harvard, where I got three degrees and, and spent two years teaching Harvard undergraduates. And then uh, since I came here in 1978, this university is thoroughly Zionized, 
as you saw them fire Stephen Salada. Um, and then in, in the academic world, uh, all over the United States and, and abroad. Uh, so it goes. And I've sent you some of the literature and stuff of this nature. I'm, I'm not going to go through it all here. Yes, yes, yes. For those who are unaware, Milton Friedman enunciated the principle that the only social obligation of corporations is to maximize profits for their stockholders, which of course can be done by minimizing the cost of production, elevating the price to the max the, the market will tolerate, minimizing costs by minimizing the expense of labor, paying the lowest wages possible, exploiting the environment, not doing cleaning up a pollution, leaving that to someone else, creating monopolies, other forms of restraint that promote do, doing all kinds of uh, advertising and so forth to promote your markets. It, it excludes the consequences and impact of the corporation and its activities on, on the environment, on the population at large. It's, it's an impoverished view. Uh, which I, I discussed at one point with Paul Craig Roberts, former Assistant Secretary of the Treasury under Ronald Reagan, making the point to him that isn't this short-term thinking that's going to max profits in the short run but deplete them over the long, and he agreed with me completely that he'd been to many corporate boards of directors making that argument, but that he was unable to get the thought through their heads. I also would like for well, us... Well, let me just say, again, that, that this, you know, Friedman, the Friedmanites, the University of Chicago uh, economists, uh, the University of Chicago Law and Economics that, that came out of this under Posner, this is really the Nazi philosophy of useless eaters that was condemned at uh, Nuremberg by the Nuremberg Tribunal. And, you know, it all traces its way back to the diehard Nazi uh, Carl Schmidt, the, the whole school there. Uh, if you go to Chicago philosophy, uh, 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 law, uh, economics, business at least, a good, uh, a good deal of liberal arts and science under Bloom and his protégés, they're all uh, infused with this uh, Schmidtian um, Nazi international relations. Um, it, it's pervasive there. What, what can I say? Um, but, but you're right. But again, I would, I would encourage uh, 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 people to read um, Naomi Klein's uh, expose, Shock Doctrine, about Friedman and the Chicago boys uh, going around the world, uh, uh, rape, rob, loot, plunder, and pillage people of color uh, in, in third world countries. And now, starting with Reagan, uh, people here in the United States of America, we've been the victims of the uh, Friedman and the Chicago boys. and. Uh, uh, the the shock doctrine, but read read Klein. I mean, again, uh, Klein from the outside and me from the inside, uh, we both can't be wrong, uh, independently of each other, reaching the exact same conclusions. In her brilliant book, The Divine Right of Capital, Marjorie uh, Kelly argues for broadening the concept from maximizing benefits to stockholders to maximizing benefits for to stakeholders which entails everyone, including the environment who's affected by the action of the corporation, which dramatically transforms their, their role in society, where, of course, until the 20th century, corporations had to demonstrate that they perform some public good 
in order to be uh, re receive a, a, a contract and allowance to operate as a corporation, that all seems to have been lost. And I dare say the Rockefellers had a lot to do with that too. Well, sure. As I said, J.D. Rockefeller founded the Modern University of Chicago. He paid for it. And they brought in people that uh, towed his party line across the board. And, and they still do. Um, as for, you know, the consequences as well, you know, Citizens United, where you have the United States Supreme Court uh, giving uh, constitutional rights uh, to corporations. Uh, and there, uh, you know, uh, uh, Roberts, uh, he was behind me at uh, uh, Harvard uh, Law School. Uh, Scalia uh, was uh, certainly uh, before me. Um, uh, well, later on, Kagan, Harvard Law School. Uh, you know, uh, uh, Thomas, uh, um, Yale Law School. He's a Straussian, by the way. His, uh, if you read uh, Drury's book, she um, uh, goes through all the major figures on the American right, and either they studied uh, at the University of Chicago or their teachers studied at the University of Chicago. And uh, Thomas went to the uh, College of Holy Cross, which is good liberal arts. Uh, uh, Catholic uh, college there in uh, uh, Massachusetts, but his uh, his professor, his main professor, mentor there was a Straussian. Uh, so I I won't go through all the cast of characters there. They're all in uh, Drury's book. And now we're dealing with a second generation of these people. Francis, would you agree that a, a conceptually inappropriate way to look at the neocons is combining the Straussian elitist philosophy? with a Zionism, a belief in Jewish superiority and entitlement to the lands of Palestine, aspiring to become the greater Israel, dominating the region from the Tigris, Euphrates to the Nile. Well, that's correct, although we have to understand not all the uh, neocons are Jewish. Uh, for example, uh, Schmidt was a devout Catholic. Uh, and uh, um, Strauss only broke with Schmidt because Schmidt was supporting the uh, Nazi persecution of the Jews. So, yes, uh, I, I haven't toted up the numbers, but uh, large numbers of the Straussian neocons uh, are Jewish, but there's also a substantial uh, Catholic element in there, too. Indeed, there's a book by um, Clarity Press on the uh, Catholic uh, neocons. Um, uh, for example, Clarence uh, Thomas, uh, Catholic. Um, my uh, 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 Harvard PhD classmate, uh, Alan Keyes, the uh, black fellow who ran against uh, uh, Obama here for the Senate and his run for the president. Uh, he's a uh, uh, Catholic neocon. Uh, I think Bill Bennett uh, is a Catholic neocon. Um, so, you know, I haven't, again, uh, and that all the Catholic neocons are, <laughs> low, uh, you can find them in that book. And then uh, uh, most of the rest are, are Jewish neocons. Um, so, uh, and for example, um, you know, uh, Alan Keyes went to uh, Harvard to get his PhD uh, with uh, Harvey Mansfield. Uh, Harvey Mansfield uh, is the guru of all the Harvard neocons. Every one of them, Bill Crystal, all the rest of them, have studied with Harvey Mansfield. He's still on the faculty there. 
uh, in the uh, Harvard government department uh, teaching political philosophy. And undergrads, grad students all go there, flock there to study with um, uh, Harvey Mansfield. Uh, he's an avowed uh, Straussian. Now, I didn't study uh, with uh, uh, Mansfield political philosophy uh, at Harvard because I already studied with Cropsey, <laughs> and he was uh, Strauss's right-hand man. Uh, but that, you know, Mansfield has influenced the entire generation of, uh, uh, of Harvard uh, neocons. And indeed, who is uh, Mansfield's uh, leading political philosopher? Machiavelli. Yes, he, he did a translation of Machiavelli's The Prince from Italian uh, into English. And again, like Bloom translated Plato's Republic. And as a professor myself, it, you really have to have your heart into a philosopher or uh, uh, a writer uh, to translate an entire work. And by the way, speaking of uh, uh, Judge uh, Posner, he came down here to uh, uh, give a lecture on jurisprudence. I won't go through it all. Uh, but he was publicly asked if uh, he was in favor, he was dealing basically with the sophists. He, he was supporting the sophists, <laughs> believe it or not. But the whole lecture was in favor of the Greek sophists. And one of the students asked him uh, if he uh, was in favor of any modern political philosophy philosopher, and uh, uh, Judge Posner said yes, Machiavelli. <laughs> uh, so uh, no, this is serious. So you uh -oh. know, it, it, it shouldn't surprise you at all that he advocates uh, torture and is applying uh, the uh, Friedmanite market economics not only at the University of Chicago Law School, which has taken over a good deal of legal education. Uh, but on the uh, U.S. Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals. Um, and, he, you know, he has uh, another guy on there who, uh, you know, they hired at, at the University of Chicago uh, uh, Law School originally, too. So uh, these types of people uh, have uh, infiltrated uh, American legal education, elite American legal education, Harvard, Yale, uh, uh, Chicago. Um, and... Uh, uh, the federal judiciary as well. So why do you think we're getting <laughs> these decisions that we get uh, out of the United States Supreme Court and uh, the uh, U.S. Uh, Courts of Appeal, which are just one level below uh, the, the U.S. Supreme Court? And since the Supreme Court takes so few cases anyway, uh, those decisions are binding within those jurisdictions. And of course, just to make the historical point, the reason Socrates is regarded as the father of philosophy is because unlike the sophist, Socrates was concerned with truth. The sophist was simply prevailing in argument. So you could say that the sophists were rhetoricticians. Some compare them with lawyers, Francis, whereas Socrates was in fact dedicated to discovering the truth. Now, you make the... Well, I agree with that, uh, Jim. I... I was hired here uh, originally to teach a course on jurisprudence in 78, which I still teach. And I have a very extensive uh, uh, set of lectures on the sophists who are the real uh, founders of the uh, uh, American uh, legal profession and legal education. Th this is true. 
Um, and then Socrates' critique of the sophists, yes. But Judge Posner made it very clear in this lecture that uh, he, he supported the sophists against Socrates. And I, I was kind of stunned. <laughs> you know, if you wanted to make a um, conservative argument for law, you would go to Aristotle. And yes. in all honesty, uh, uh, and, and you wanted to reject Socrates, fine. Uh, but uh, in all honesty, uh, I've never heard an argument in favor of the sophists uh, <laughs> myself, but I did hear it for 45 minutes from uh, Judge Poster. Yeah, uh, what can I say? You made the impeccable point that all, just as not all neocons are Jewish, not all Jews are neocons, well, and not indeed, all, again, I, I don't want to make a point. There's a substantial uh, Catholic uh, element in, in the neocons yes. uh, because Schmidt was a Catholic. Just as there are many uh, Zionist non-Jews, I mean, evangelical Christians, there's a very that strong Zionism in evangelical Christians, where it's terribly important, of course, to differentiate between being anti-Zionist, which is a, a political stance, and being anti-Semitic, which is a whole nother matter, entailing discounting the value or worth of an individual or his opinions based upon his ethnic heritage or his religious orientation. That is certainly correct. And indeed, when, when I use the uh, terminology neocon, uh, uh, some people just brand everyone, well, he's a neocon, he's a neocon. No, I, I'm referring to Straussians specifically, that the school, uh, the neocon school, neoconservative school, goes back uh, to Leo Strauss at the University of Chicago. And again, Drury has all that in there in her books, if, if you want to read it. And so I'm referring here specifically to Straussians, neocons. You are correct. Uh, I don't know the percentage, but large numbers of them are uh, Jewish. Who uh, uh, fully support Israel uh, and their outright genocide uh, against the uh, Palestinians and believe in Jewish supremacy over everyone else, that, you know, we are the uh, uh, ubermensch and everyone else is the untermensch. And uh, we're here to rule and to govern. That's what we learned to do under Strauss and the Straussians at the University of Chicago. A and the rest of you uh, are out there uh, in, in the great unwashed, uh, like Bloom put it in, in the uh, closing of the American mind. And uh, yeah, you'll get uh, public education at uh, state institutions and basically be trained to do uh, blue collar uh, uh, work and fine, that's all you deserve. But first rate uh, liberal arts education, that's reserved for us, the elite at the University of Chicago and, and a few other places. Indeed, Bloom even looked down his nose at Harvard. <laughs> of course, it's become a very popular practice for those who are Zionists to accuse anyone who's critical of the policies or practices of the government of Israel of being anti-Semitic, even if that involves a barbaric treatment of the Palestinian people, who after the, all were there before they were indeed. It's a, a, a much of the claims of the Zionists are highly dubious from an historical point of view. But it's a... It's well, a let me respond to that, uh, Jim, by saying, yeah, I began to argue the uh, cause of the Palestinians when I entered Harvard in 1971. I think I was one of the few students there. 
And ever since then, Zionists have accused me of being publicly of everything but a child molester um, and have inflicted every type of uh, character assassination you can uh, possibly uh, imagine. I mean, indeed, even the uh, 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 president of the uh, American Civil Liberties Union here in uh, uh, Champaign County, uh, that uh, I've been a member of the ACLU for many years, uh, a Zionist, and uh, he launched it as in his capacity as president. He launched an internet uh, character assassination campaign about me, a member, uh, accusing me of being uh, anti-Semitic, and he sent it to a Jewish friend of mine. Uh, who responded with a copy to me uh, saying, uh, Boyle is anti-Israel, uh, but he's not anti-Jewish. This goes yeah. on uh, all the time uh, in, in the uh, academic world, not, not just me, but, but large numbers of others. And I've been, you know, fighting these people for, for decades. What can I say? Well, I think your experience within the academy is of extraordinary importance here. I, I compare it to what Cynthia McKinney recently reported, namely that every new member of Congress, when they arrive in Washington, is asked to sign a pledge to put the interests of Israel ahead of those of the United States. And those who decline to do so find themselves confronted with a well-financed alternative candidate next time around, or perhaps even that their district has been redrawn and they no longer have a seat. Well, I, I would say, uh, based on my experience uh, uh, dealing with these people since 1968, when I entered the University of Chicago until today, uh, for the most part, not, not all the part, but for the most part, uh, these Zionists are more loyal to Israel than they are the United States of America. Uh, there's no question all about it, and I've fought them and battled with them all up and down everywhere, uh, including in academia, courts, the international tribunals, you name it. The very first political speech I gave, Francis, was on 15 April 2008 at a Ron Paul Freedom Rally in, on the grass outside the Capitol in Washington, D.C. Uh, it would later be published under the title 9-11 and the Neocon Agenda, but I was condemning the idea of having uh, dual citizens in policy shaping or decision making positions because who can know that their loyalty to the other state does not outweigh their loyalty to the United States, which is manifestly the case with all the neocons who inhabited the Department of Defense in the Bush-Cheney era and contributed to bringing us 9-11. Uh, you got a whole string of them who came from the Project for a New American Century and who were absolutely dedicated to promoting the interests of Israel and used uh, the events of 9-11, which were cleverly contrived by the CIA, the neocons, and, and the Mossad, to transform American foreign policy from one in which at least officially, uh, from one in which at least officially we never attacked any nation that had not attacked us first, to one in which we became an aggressor nation, taking out what Wesley Clark would later describe as the governments of seven countries in the next five years, beginning with Iraq and Libya, ending with Syria and Iran. And if it hasn't played out that way due to the intervention of Russia, it's not for lack of trying. Well, yes, the PNAC uh, report written by these, uh, uh, for the most part, Zionist neocons, 
uh, became the uh, Mein Kampf, uh, their Mein Kampf, and that was implemented when they uh, uh, came to power under Bush Jr. And uh, uh, Obama has continued on with this uh, program. Remember, as I said, Obama was part of them when he left Harvard Law School and moved to uh, Hyde Park and taught at the, uh, as a uh, lecturer in law at the University of Chicago Law School. And that's the environment uh, that, that he's dealt with. So today we have uh, Victoria Newland uh, still running in the uh, uh, Department of State uh, and uh, uh, promoting war uh, against Russia. And the whole um, State Department these days is pretty much uh, Zionist. Um, Samantha, Power, Samantha Power at the United Nations, Ash Carter at the Department of Defense, even Susan Rice, Obama's national security advisor. These are all neocons. I mean, it's difficult to resist the inference that if it looks like a duck, waddles like a duck, quacks like a duck, it's a neocon in the case of Barack Obama himself. Well, you have to understand, uh, uh, Obama started there in uh, Hyde Park. And, uh, uh, you know, I went there for college and I lived there in summer times and things while I was uh, uh, to and from Harvard and Chicago. And uh, uh, the, there's uh, uh, sort of a uh, Jewish sub, submachine of the Dick Daly Chicago Democratic regime there uh, that Obama has consistently gotten support from Rahm Emanuel and uh, uh, their, their money and their influence uh, uh, and their uh, power. Uh, when uh, Obama left uh, Harvard Law School, uh, Martha Minow, who is now the dean, uh, called up her, her uncle Newt, Newt Minow, uh, a partner at Sidley and Austin, a very prominent uh, Jewish American uh, lawyer in Chicago. I think he was head of the FTC uh, from uh, uh, under Carter, and vouched for Obama. Uh, we could go on uh, with with all of that, but they pretty much co-opted Obama uh, there in Hyde Park, uh, University of Chicago, from from the get-go. Right. Just one more illustration vis-a-vis -vis Congress, the role of AIPAC, the American-Israeli Political Action Committee, they call themselves public affairs, but that's just a subterfuge, where JFK had the, its predecessor, the World Jewish Congress, registered as a foreign agent, no president since, has had the nerve, exerts extraordinary influence over Congress. It's by far uh, the most influential which, which leads many of us to conclude that in the case of certain prominent senators, they might as well be described as a senator from Israel rather than from New York or from South Carolina or from Arizona. Well, sure. Um, APEC should be registered as an a, a agent of a foreign government, but because of their power, uh, they're, they're not registered. They're, they're basically a lobbying organization for Israel and they should be registered under the Foreign Agent Registration Act. Uh, but again, their power and influence prevents that from happening. Uh, you are correct. Uh, you, you could read uh, Paul, my friend Paul Finley's book, They Dare to Speak Out, on how uh, he was knocked out of Congress after 22 years of service uh, simply because uh, uh, he raised some basic questions about why we were giving uh, blank check support 
uh, to Israel. Likewise, uh, our Senator uh, Chuck Percy, who was ahead of me at the University of Chicago, and I knew his record. Uh, he was a good senator. He's a Republican. The same thing happened to him. And by the way, who knocked off Paul Finley with masses amounts of uh, Zionist funding coming in here into his district? And he used to represent uh, Abe Lincoln's old district, Dick Durbin. And Dick Durbin is now uh, the uh, uh, Senate uh, whip uh, for the uh, Democrats and the senator from Illinois. Uh, he's talking about running for uh, governor of Illinois. So, yes, you're talking about uh, um, uh, senators from Israel, that he owes his career to them. And, by the way, Rahm Emanuel, uh, uh, years ago, uh, uh, was working. Uh, for Dick Durbin uh, against Paul Finley to, to put Durbin uh, uh, in there. So, sure, these ties and connections are all up and down. Cynthia McKinney is, is correct. But I would encourage you to read uh, Paul Finley's book. He was there, too, and he was knocked off uh, by out-of-state Zionists coming in here with their money uh, to, to knock off Finley, to knock off Percy. Uh, because not not that they were anti-Israel, but they were raising some basic questions about the imbalance, total imbalance of American foreign policy uh, toward Israel. This goes on all over the country, sure. Francis, let me confirm with you, the perfect person, my belief that the massive sums of money we're giving in foreign aid to Israel is a violation of our own foreign policy guidelines, precisely because Israel is a possessor of vast stockpiles of nuclear, biological, and chemical weapons, and the guidelines pro preclude giving foreign aid to any country that has uh, undeclared stockpiles of weapons of mass destruction. Well, first, we have uh, uh, legislation on the books that prohibits uh, the uh, uh, provision of any type of uh, U.S. assistance to a government that engages in the gross and consistent pattern of violation of fundamental human rights. Uh, that makes absolutely no impact at all on uh, Israel. They're just, even today as we speak, you know, they're shooting down dead uh, Palestinians like they're dogs in the street, and they've been doing this uh, forever. Um, Second, yes, uh, in, uh, 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 when it comes to nuclear weapons, uh, we have uh, uh, the uh, Nuclear Nonproliferation Act that mandates the cutoff uh, of any state uh, uh, that has engaged in, in a test of a nuclear device. We know Israel did, uh, working with uh, apartheid South Africa. Jimmy Carter covered that entire thing up. Uh, we also have uh, legislation, the Arms Export Control Act, uh, prohibiting the use of uh, U.S. weapons for any reason uh, but legitimate self-defense or uh, as part of a, an authorized United Nations peacekeeping mission. Israel violates that all the time. I, I could go through a list uh, of laws that clearly prohibit. Uh, uh, we have the uh, now... Leahy Amendment that prohibits uh, uh, U.S. assistance to uh, military units engaged in uh, massive human rights violations. Well, that's the uh, entire Israeli Defense Forces. Just look at uh, the slaughters they've engaged in in uh, Gaza 
uh, uh, at least three of them. And, and now all Amer today, as we speak, Americans have been told to evacuate Gaza. It doesn't, doesn't look very good there. We, we, we might have another round of slaughter. Um, so yeah, there are all sorts of uh, 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 statutes on the books. I, I teach a course on the uh, constitutional law of US foreign affairs here, and I go through these statutes. And sure, Israel's in violation of them. Uh, the executive branch is all brought, bought off. They're not going to call Israel on them. Uh, Congress is complicit. They're all bought off, too. So they're not going to do anything about it. Francis, it seems to me the neocons involved in higher education want to warp the educational process and particularly punish or inhibit professors from speaking out on controversial issues, even if it's something as seemingly relatively innocuous as the boycott, divestment, and sanctions uh, against Israel for its abuse of the Palestinian people, which seems to me to be a 100% legitimate, justifiable, morally appropriate action. And yet you even have individuals of the rank of the president of Harvard intervening to condemn those who support BDS. Right. Well, you saw my response I sent you to the uh, president of Harvard uh, on this issue and before the current president, Larry Summers, uh, publicly accused me of being anti-Semitic uh, uh, for being the founder of the Israeli divestment disinvestment campaign. And when uh, WGBH of Boston uh, invited the two of us, because they, you know, I'm well known there at Harvard, I was the founder of the movement, to debate this issue, uh, Summers refused to debate me. He did not have the courage, the integrity, and the principles uh, to debate me, although uh, I would have to say he was smart enough not to debate me. Uh, but then uh, they asked Alan Dershowitz to debate me, and Dersh isn't that smart, whatever. <laughs> um, and he debated me, and I clobbered him, and I sent you the uh, link. You can, you can listen yes, to that. Yes, if, we'll, if share you want we'll share it. We'll but, share it, Francis. You, know, you, you have to understand the uh, uh, warp twisting of uh, American higher education by uh, Zionists uh, goes back, uh, uh, certainly uh, uh, when I was a graduate student at Harvard, uh, where a, uh, a very uh, prominent professor today, I won't mention who, was uh, basically forced out of a PhD program at Harvard because he, uh, apparently I wasn't there, uh, disagreed with their leading uh, Middle East uh, politics expert, um, Nadav Safran from Israel, who we later found out also worked with the CIA. Uh, and that was at Harvard. Um, and Harvard's gotten worse. Um, several years ago and, and before he died, uh, Harvard offered their top chair in comparative literature to Edward Said, who uh, was ahead of me at Harvard. Uh, got his PhD there. And uh, uh, the Palestinians, Americans, asked me to, <laughs> to try to convince Edward Said to um, take this chair at Harvard because uh, they thought it would be good for the Palestinians to have Edward uh, teaching at Harvard as opposed to Columbia. Um, so I went out to New York and uh, had dinner with Edward and his wife uh, at, at a Chinese restaurant uh, right there on the Columbia campus. Uh, and I spent an entire night trying to convince Edward 
uh, to take uh, Harvard's top honcho chair in comparative literature. Now, most people would give their right arms for a chair at Harvard in anything. And Edward was adamant. He said, no, Harvard is so anti-Palestinian that it would thwart my intellectual creativity to go to Harvard. And he turned them down. And I have and no doubt. Edward, Edward was right. I, I mean, that's, that's how anti-Palestinian uh, Harvard is. Uh, and, and the University of Chicago is even worse. And Harvard has gotten worse uh, uh, over the years, not uh, better. Basically, you just have a gang of, you know, diehard bigots and racists at Harvard and Chicago, certainly that I'm familiar with, and also here at the University of Illinois, where they illegally fired Stephen Salada over a totally bogged up. Uh, 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 and that was merely expressing his support for the BDS movement, was it not? Essentially, that's what it boiled down to. In the case of uh, Stephen? Yes. Well, what happened in the case of Stephen, um, he had already been hired here, but hadn't shown up. And uh, Israel launched its last, uh, and, and he had been hired by uh, the Native American Studies Program, uh, not the Middle East. There's no way the Middle East would have hired Stephen. They're all Zionists there. Uh, and I, I'm, I've been associated with them for many years. But... Um, and, and what happened was uh, um, Israel launched its last major genocidal campaign against the, the people in Gaza. Um, so, you know, Stephen being a, a, a Palestinian made, made some tweets that, you know, some people might say were a bit uncivil, uh, but his people were being exterminated. And so what happened here is that uh, all the Zionists who run this campus immediately seized upon these tweets to get him fired. And they all ganged up on him. Every one of the, uh, um, the uh, president, the chancellors, uh, the provost, you name it. Uh, and finally, the board of trustees, and, and they fired uh, Stephen. Um, and that was that. Uh, simply because of some tweets that he had made, uh, and they basically used this as a, as a pretext to fire him. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, uh, he got uh, $800,000, but that was that. And that was even uh, taxpayers' money. So no skin off of their nose. And this is pretty much the way Zionists uh, operate throughout uh, American academia uh, against, against someone like uh, uh, Stephen, or you saw what they did to uh, uh, Norman Finkelstein at DePaul. Norman and I are friends. I, I, I can't say I'm a friend with Stephen, but, but I know of him. Uh, Norman and I are friends, and uh, you, they all lobbied together and mobilized and uh, uh, got, got Norman fired, and he's out. And that's that. And he can't get hired anywhere. Uh, Stephen can't get hired anywhere. They, they put in a black ball against these people uh, uh, all over the country. Well, Francis, isn't it outrageous? I mean, a, a, a faculty member doesn't surrender his freedom of speech uh, independent of his classroom context merely by virtue of being a faculty member. I mean, he's tweeting. Uh, James Tracy at Florida uh, Atlantic had, had a blog. 
the university raised questions about his blog. We have a faculty member at Oberlin who, who expressed uh, support for unconventional thoughts, and she's being pilloried. I mean, what has become of the standards of academic freedom? Do no there institutions stand up for it anymore today? No, there is no such thing as uh, uh, academic freedom uh, when it comes to criticism of Israel. I, I sent you a copy of the complaint I filed with the uh, American Association of University Professors way back in 1985 on behalf of uh, American academics who were blackballed, back, blacklisted, and fired. Indeed, I have it here. There. You're free to, to uh, put that on your website or whatever uh, uh, because of their criticisms of Israel. And some of them were Jewish. Indeed, I got involved in this that uh, uh, a Jewish professor friend of mine was attacked and blackballed and blacklisted uh, for uh, criticizing the Israeli um, uh, invasion of Lebanon in 1982 and asked me to help, which I, I agreed to do. And I filed that complaint with the AAUP. Um, the AAUP refused to do anything to help, to help these uh, uh, professors. And I documented it at, at great length. Uh, they wouldn't touch it. They wouldn't help them. They wouldn't lift one finger. And they're supposed to be uh, in charge of uh, uh, academic tenure and freedom. You, you have the uh, correspondence and uh, papers I filed there. Uh, this has been going on um, for, you know, at least uh, to the best of my knowledge, when I was a graduate student at Harvard, and they got rid of one of my colleagues in a PhD program uh, because he was uh, critical of Israel in dealing with Nadav Safran, uh, who we later found out was working with the CIA and, and was an Israeli. Um, that's the way the game gets played in American academia um, and, and has been played you know, pretty much for as long as uh, I've been a part of it. Yeah, they, they will destroy. Zionists in, in uh, higher education will, if they can, and basically they've been successful, destroy the career uh, of anyone they can uh, in higher education who uh, seriously criticizes Israel, right? Well, it's an appalling situation, Francis. I can't begin to express my admiration for fighting the good fight as you have been doing so very, very long. Can you offer any advice to those of us who want to restore academic freedom to, the, to higher education? Is, are, are we at a loss? Or are there measures that can be taken? Well, uh, uh, yes, I, you know, I, I think uh, the uh, BDS campaign on campus has a lot of potential. Uh, modeled on the um, South African divestment disinvestment campaign. Uh, and, and it's a battle, there's no question at all. Uh, on campus, uh, uh, people, professors are being blacklisted, blackballed, uh, and fired. Uh, the same is being done to uh, graduate students and undergraduates. Uh, uh, but the battle uh, has to be fought. And, uh, uh, you know, eventually uh, I was part of the uh, original uh, fight and battle against apartheid South Africa. Um, and eventually we won. Uh, 
not only on campus, uh, on campuses all over the country, but internationally. Um, and, and finally, uh, Congress adopted the uh, Comprehensive Anti-Apartheid Act, and, and apartheid in South Africa collapsed. So this is the same type of battle, uh, and uh, it, it is going on today all over uh, American uh, higher education. Uh, Zionists in higher education uh, target for destruction uh, uh, academics who, who speak out to, to destroy their uh, careers. Um, and so it goes. So we, you know, we have to fight for um, uh, intellectual uh, freedom and intellectual integrity uh, on uh, American uh, campuses. Uh, we are making uh, um, progress in, in the BDS campaign, boycott, divestment, and sanctions. I'm D in there, divestment. I started that campaign. Um, and uh, uh, we, that's the way it goes. And, and eventually, I think we will win out because we have truth and justice on our side. Uh, but the bottom line, uh, uh, having uh, fought this ever since uh, I entered Harvard in 1971 and fought all the Zionists there, um, it's, it's a tough struggle. There's no question at all about it. But, you know, things are starting to turn around. Francis. Again, notice here, um, uh, here at the University of Illinois, uh, the Zionists all ganged up and fired Stephen Salada, uh, an a Palestinian uh, academic. This happened quite recently, and, and they all ganged up and they fired him. And that was that. Um, so there is a battle going on uh, for the heart and soul of uh, uh, American uh, uh, universities and campuses. Um, and, and it has to be fought. But I, at the end of the day, um, you know, I, I still believe that uh, maybe I'm naive that uh, truth and justice will win out. Um, but we'll see. Francis Boyle, thank you for a profound contribution to our conference on academic freedom. I am among your many admirers. I'm very grateful for your spending this time with us. Sure. Uh, happy uh, uh, to speak with you. And uh, uh, I wish you uh, uh, best of luck on your very important work.